Hey, this is Russell Wilson. This is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti, and welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. OTAs are underway, but most of the newsier items around the NFL surround what players or coaches are saying since they're not doing much when they're out there on the field. Not everybody's attending all of these OTAs. Joe Burrow said this week that he won't accept losing after the Bengals reached the Super Bowl, fell short, but got there. I sure hope he wouldn't accept losing. I don't think any player in the NFL should accept losing. Todd Bowles wants the Buccaneers to do whatever it takes to win, whether it's throw 50 times in a game with Tom Brady or run the ball 30 times in a game. I would think every coach feels that way. And the Eagles got their cornerback to start opposite Darius Slay thanks to the New York Giants releasing nine days ago James Bradbury. He was a Pro Bowl player in 2020, and the Eagles got him for a one-year deal. Our guest this week, Las Vegas Raiders safety Deron Harmon and Lo Van Pham, the first Asian-American to officiate in the NFL. We're going to kick it off with Lo. He was born in Southeast Asia, and after a stop in the Philippines, he moved to the United States at age seven, he comes to the NFL from the Big 12 Conference, and we discuss his family's journey and how he reached this point in a very interesting conversation. Lo, thank you for joining me on the AP Pro Football Podcast. Congratulations on your new role as an official with the NFL. Tell me a little bit about your journey to the league and when you first developed into a football fan at a young age and, and what you liked about it. Yeah, Rob, great question. I grew up, you know, we came here from Southeast Asia and growing up as a kid, you know, uh, just wanted to be a part of the American fabric, American culture. I didn't have a whole lot of Asian friends to hang out with. Most of my friends were obviously American kids, you know, kids that grew up here that went I went to elementary school with and they kind of got me involved with sports. And when I started playing peewee football at an early age, kind of fell in love with just the sport in general, just like most of us are here in America. And that just kind of gravitated to me, you know, to to the high school ranks, played Texas high school football in Amarillo, Texas, and just continued to fall in love with it. When I went to, to school, to grad school, as I graduated, I just want to be part of the game. And that's kind of how I got involved with uh, with officiating. I want to be still connected to the game. And that provided me a great avenue to continue with that sport. Of course, obviously, I'm a huge fan of, of American football. When you played, uh, what position were you in? I know you were in the Texas area. So is that were you a Cowboys fan? Was that the team that you, you grew up around? Yes. When, when you uh, play football in the state of Texas and grew up in Texas, obviously, you know, Cowboys were all over the place, right? Either, yeah. you know, your, your, your friends or your friend's dad or, you know, just kind of the whole neighborhood, you know, all Dallas Cowboys, and that was always on. So, yes, I kind of grew up watching them through the years, and uh, it was just just awesome experience, just kind of grew up in that environment. Let's go back a little bit to your parents, their journey out of Vietnam to even get to this point to where you guys are in America. What do you recall about that, or what do you know about that? You know, they didn't really tell me much growing up. You know, gave me bits and pieces as I grew older. I don't know if that was my intent as far as not having me concentrate too much on the past, but kind of you know, focus on the future, you know, what America has to offer. And as I got older, they would kind of give me bits of stories about how we went from leaving, going through the jungles of South Vietnam, going through the jungles of Laos to go to a refugee camp. And we just kind of bounced around different refugee camps. And when Catholic Family Services came on board, you know, that was kind of our ticket 
per se to America. And um, just kind of remember later on that my parents told me those refugee camps. Of course, I don't remember much about it other than, you know, glimpses of things that I've seen, you know, when I was younger. But they were telling me how obviously filthy it was, how dirty it was, and how we bounced around for about three years when we left, uh, you know, Vietnam. But but yeah, I mean, other than that, that's really what I remember, you know, and, and I remember my first night here in America, we stayed in a kind of a makeshift hospital where they boarded us as far as, you know, for the first few weeks until we got our, our feet on the ground. You have brothers, right, Lo? I do. I have, a, I have an older brother and mm-hmm. a younger brother. Okay, so you, you were the, the middle child. Um, are they into football, NFL, or like, did you have each other to lean on, or was it more like your American friends at a young age that introduced you to the sport? It's more of my American friends and my American people that, that I hung out with. But yeah, my, my brothers, they're just total opposites of me, as you can imagine. <laughs> Very cool. Now, when you started officiating, right, you started with the Pee Wee football? Yes, sir. Obviously, that's a, a whole different level of experience. You're going to officiate Pee Wee football, and then you're you're going to move up. When, when you first you did your first game, do you have any recollection? Do you remember what that experience was like? You know, what was going through your mind, thinking that this could end up being one day something that you do in the NFL? Oh, Rob, that's a great question. You know, when I signed up for it, it was kind of out of boredom and out of love for the game. <laughs> and I remember, I remember responding to an ad, you know, up in Denver about hey needing officials to go work first grade, second grade, whatever it was at the time. And going out there, I was supposed to be with a mentor. I get there excited, written, no idea what I'm getting myself into other than he's going to help me, right? Get there. I get a phone call right before kickoff. Lo, you're there by yourself. Man, it's the game. I got to run to another venue. There's no officials. Wow. <laughs> so, so I'm like, what do I do? He goes, just manage the game. Don't worry about fouls enough. Just manage the game. Okay, you got your stripes? Yes, sir. That's all we need. Just matter. You got a whistle? Yes, sir. So from there, kind of fell in love with it, being out in the field, being with the kids, and no idea that it would elevate me to this level. So from that moment on, kind of got hooked. And I remember my friends telling my friends what I was doing. Their first comment was, are you nuts? Are you crazy? You got better things to do on a Saturday and a Sunday? Go, no, I actually love this. I mean, this is what I – you know, I, I grew up playing and I just absolutely love the game. And and from there, it just made me want to get better. I had no idea what officiating is all about, know nothing about the rules. And so each year as I progress, all I wanted to do was just get better at officiating the game. And from there, you know, once one thing led to another, went to clinics, went to camp, obviously moved back down to the state of Texas, got involved with the Texas High School Association down there. And that's really where my my training began and how I really developed as an official. And that's what kind of helped me today, you know, get to this point. And like I said, never dreamed about number one, being a college power five official. And when I was in power five, never really dreamed about being an NFL official other than I just want to survive the big 12 and the the demands of the big 12. (laughs) You know, that was really my focal point. That experience you just told me about that peewee game though, the first one that was in Denver. That was in Denver. How did you how did you end up there? Well, I went to grad school up at University of Colorado at Boulder. Okay. Went to grad school from there after I graduated, because all my buddies were still stuck in at CU Boulder trying to finish their degrees. And I remember I had no friends left. I'm I'm not working. <laughs> and so I needed to fill my time, you know, on Saturdays and Sundays to do something productive. And I thought that was a great avenue. That was that was just a great experience I'll never forget. 
Now, officiating, even at the NFL level, it, it's a secondary job. It's, it's not a full-time job. So what, what else are you doing Monday through Friday? Sure. That's a great question. Uh, by trade, I, I, my background is in civil and structural engineering. That's that's what I received my master's degree is in from the University of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And after I got out, I worked for a bridge design company for a while. And from there, I transitioned to the construction side, which is what I'm doing today is for a, a general contractor. So um, I'm a project manager, structural engineer with a, with a, with a uh, commercial company. And that's really my quote unquote full-time job. Although since being in Power Five football, most of my friends seem to think that football is really my full-time job and <laughs> my real job is my part-time job. That's funny. Now, uh, you have two young boys, right, Lo? Yes, Rob. I got two young, beautiful young men in my life. That, that's awesome. And, and your family, your wife at home, you're gonna, you need a lot of support when you're pursuing this dream, this goal, what you're doing on the weekend. Just how supportive ha- has she been and, and has it even dawned on them as young as they are what has happened now that you've become you're going to be in the NFL? You know, my, my, let me start off first by just kind of, you know, thanking my beautiful wife, Kelly. You know, she's very, very supportive. She's a stay-at-home mom. She kind of, t- you know, she kind of keeps me, well, she does keep me in line with the kids. And the kids, they're, um, you know, they're super young, seven years old and two and a half years old. So really for them, they have no idea other than dad's gone on weekends and every once in a while they're turning on the tube and say, hey, there's dad. You know, really, you know, they keep me humble. They keep, they, they remind me of what my job is, is that's to be, number one, be a father. That's, that's the most important thing, to be a father and to be a great husband. And hopefully, you know, there's there's a saying that my one of my great mentors gave me was you know, uh, success on the field cannot compensate for failures at home. And that's really has stuck to me for a very long time is that I need to refocus and, and, and see what's most important. And without the support at home, I can never be successful with what I'm doing on the football field. So glory, glory, glory to them. Thankful to them that I'm able to do this evocation. Uh, with that engineering background, it's that requires a lot of effort, a lot of work, a, a lot of schooling. And, and now what you're doing requires also a lot of time, a lot of training. What are your next few weeks, few months going to look like as you prepare for the NFL season? Obviously, the uh, the agenda is full, as you can imagine, being a rookie in the National Football League. We've got a couple of Zoom call training here coming up. Obviously, we, we're going to start meeting weekly with the officiating staff to obviously introduce us to the new rules, understand the mechanics, understand the philosophies, got a lot of film watching, rule study to get us ready for the preseason that, that we're expected to participate with and also the, the mini camps and the OTAs that are coming up. So a, a lot of work ahead, Rob, which I'm really excited for. I look forward to the challenge. You know, this is this is exciting. It really hasn't hit me yet in terms of where I am today, but my focus is on just getting ready and uh, being able to do a good job for the National Football League. You won't know your schedule for a while, right? You, you won't know preseason first game or week one first game at this point, or do you? No, sir. We we probably won't know that until a couple of weeks. I'm sure it's it's in the works. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this is all a whole new learning process for me. I, I don't really don't know what crew I'm going to be on. So I'm sure that's going to, that's coming down after the May 15th uh, dead period. Well, I know a lot of people look at you because of 
being the first Asian American to officiate in the NFL, and you've been kind of thrust in the spotlight to to carry that. What does that mean to you that you're going that you are the first? Wow, you know, I never I never dreamed about being the first of anything. You know, people that know me, I'm kind of a low key guy, but being the first Asian American, I'm just glad to be the first uh, in my family <laughs> to be. <laughs> of this shitty at this high level. Uh, it's a great honor that the Asian American culture, which I love and I try to emulate that with, you know, with my kids. It's just a great honor of people reaching out to me, reminding me of how special this is. And I just want to do the right thing and, and carry whatever man I need to carry to represent not only our Asian cultures and Asian friends, but also really to represent all minorities, whether Middle Eastern, you know, just different backgrounds, different people that are out there that that with I, I want to communicate and convey the fact that if you work hard, prepare yourself, committed and do the things that you can't control, your desires and your passion will carry you to the next level at whatever endeavors that you you choose. Lo, those are very wise words. Uh, I thank you for the opportunity to chat, to get to know you a little bit and look forward to sharing your story, because I think it's a it's a beautiful one. And wish you a ton of blessings along the way. Rob, thank you so much for having me and really appreciate the honor to tell you my story. Thank you so much. Located 25 minutes from Center City, Philadelphia, Cairn University is a biblical university centered on Christ and His Word. In any one of our 70-plus on-campus or online programs, you will receive an explicitly biblical and intentionally Christian education that integrates your faith and work. Be taught and mentored by invested faculty. Participate in a dynamic campus life and grow in your faith as you prepare for what's next. Learn more about our undergrad and graduate programs at cairn.edu. That's C-A-I-R-N dot E-D-U. Harmon was a third round pick by New England in 2013. He won three Super Bowls with the Patriots. He joined the Lions in 2020. He played for the Falcons last year and now has signed with the Las Vegas Raiders, reuniting with the former offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, Josh McDaniels. Here's my conversation with Deron. Deron, thank you for joining me on the AP Pro Football Podcast. I know you got a lot of exciting things going on in your career, too, because now you're you started out with the Patriots, had some success there. You know what it's like to, to taste uh, winning and, and being part of a championship team. And mm-hmm. now you're you're in Vegas with Josh McDaniels. Uh, I know about a month ago you had said something, some of the reporters out there, that he's not trying to build the Patriot way. He's trying to do things mm-hmm. differently. Can you elaborate on that for me a little bit? I never want to, you know, speak for Josh, but I just think he's trying to, you know, pave his own way like any of us any of us try to do we all have great you know mentors and people who have been um this unbelievable you know teachers to us but at the end of the day we can only be ourselves what we learned and um the information that we gathered over the time um is extremely beneficial to our our journey but at the end of the day when you try to be somebody that you aren't, you know, you're not being uh, truly yourself and you're not utilizing the gifts and blessings that God gave you um, uh, to to display and to show. Um, So I think that's where everybody in that building is. You know, we're just trying to 
figure out our identity as a football team, trying to figure out, you know, who we are as men in the building, and just co- trying to come together um, for the common goal of winning. What was it like to be drafted by the Patriots to join a franchise with Bill Belichick, Tom Brady at the time that had been so successful and then to be able to be part of that and continue that success? Uh, very humbling. As I, you know, reflect on those times, 22 when I got drafted there and now, you know, I'm 31. I realized just how special, you know, that place is, you know, when you're in it and you get drafted there, you just, you know, you're working, you know, that's a place that just, you come in, you put your head down, you work and you just try to see where the work can get you. And the work uh, and the, the success has been shown over and over again. You go there, work hard, put the team first, um, you win. And um, just being able to be a part of that was, was amazing. Because, you know, there's certain people, um, some of the best players ever play this game and never get a chance, you know, to make it to the playoffs or make it to a Super Bowl. And here I am, you know, just honored to be a part of the team, you know, to be coached by Bill Belichick, you know, play alongside, you know, Tom Brady, Devin McCourty, you know, Gerard Mayo, Vince, Vince Wilford. It was amazing. You know, it's humbling. And uh, being able to learn from those guys, um, all those guys have a, a pivotal role in just me being able to play football this long. As now a veteran guy who's been with a couple different teams since leaving New England, right? You go to Detroit, you go to Atlanta, now you're with Vegas. Do you try to take on more of a, a leadership role and, and try to impart some of that wisdom, some of those guys like Vince Wilfork, the McCordys, uh, and Gerard May and others imparted on you? Yeah, well, I think, you know, leadership can never be forced. You know, I just try to do it from a genuine standpoint of um, just sharing my experiences when they're asked and when the opportunity presents itself. One thing about this league, uh, the experiences, they just recycle. You ask, you know, a veteran guy, he'll tell you, you know, what he went through as a young guy. And, you know, usually the stories are very, very similar. Um, And the people who are very successful in this league, um, their work ethic and their journey um, might not always be identical, but, you know, there's similarities. So I just try to give out the information and um, the knowledge that was passed to me from those guys um, to help me, that helped me um, get to where I am today so that I can, you know, um, just pay it forward and see the information that I eventually will pass down, um, be passed down to another generation of football players eventually. How do you feel about this team in Vegas? The Raiders, they made the playoffs last year, mm-hmm. uh, made some additions, Devontae Adams being one of the big ones mm-hmm. for sure. What have you seen from them and what are your expectations? I'm excited. You know, I think there's a lot of excitement um, just around the Raiders right now in the community of Las Vegas and just amongst, you know, the entire uh, National Football League. But as far as expectations, it's just, you know, it's just too hard. You know, we haven't even had a practice yet. We haven't, you know, done anything competitive yet. The only thing that we've been able to do is our off-season workouts, getting in there and knowing the team and just just being around the guys, you know, trying to build a, uh, some com- camaraderie uh, amongst the group. Um, but the thing that I do love is that, you know, it's just a, it's a great group of guys. Um, it's guys that come to work each and every day that want to get better, whether, you know, we're going over playbook, whether we're in the weight room, you know, we're all competing, we're all having fun. And, um Usually, you know, when you got a good offseason, you know, it translates to um, a good season. So uh, we're starting the right way, but, I mean, it's, it's way too early to even think about, you know, putting expectations on 
anything to happen in the season. What have you seen out of Derek Carr? Have you been able to be around him uh, and get to know him a little bit, build some some chemistry with him? For sure. You know, great leader. Um, one of the first guys there every day, one of the last guys to leave. Um, just a genuine person. Introduced himself to me the first day I got there, man. We had some good talks, some good conversations about, you know, playing against each other and just um, just his leadership, um, just who he is as a man, um, a great person and obviously a great quarterback. Um, just excited to be, you know, teammates with that man. Deron, you're a father of four, correct? Correct. What does fatherhood mean to you? And, and, and there's, there's so many different mm. people in leadership positions who are trying to emphasize, mm. I know Tony Dungy being one of them, what it means to be a father who's present in their children's lives. Uh, it, to me, it, mean, it means everything. Being a father is the greatest gift that a man can ever receive because you have a chance to impact, to mold, to shape children into being the servants um, that God have called us all to be, you know. So I take that job as serious as any job I do take. You know, it's way more important than football because football will end. Um, and as much as I love this game and much as I enjoy the game, I know there will be a time where I won't be able to go out there and football, but I will be a father forever. Um, my boys will always look to me for advice for uh, knowledge, uh, for wisdom. And it's my job um, to lead them the right way so that when I have my last day on this earth, you know, I know I put everything into just passing um, knowledge and um, leaving a legacy um, that is greater than me on the football field. What do you say to some of the men out there who may not be as involved uh, in, mm -hmm. in their kids' lives? How would you give them advice to, to say that, this is something that you really ought to focus on. Uh, situations, everybody. You know, some people are, um, some fathers are not in their life just because of, you know, generational curses, uh, whether it's, you know, their father not being in their life, drugs, um, or, you know, some people, some fathers just might not be in their life because they're just extremely busy with work. Um, but the thing that has helped me and from my mentors is you only get one chance. You only get one chance on earth. So if you only get one chance, why not make it the best, the best that you can make it? And the best that you can make it is having that relationship with your son, um, being there or your daughter, being there with them through the thick and thin, giving them wisdom, giving them knowledge, giving them power, you know, giving them confidence, letting them know that no matter what they go through in life, you're going to be there for them so that when they have children, you know, they can do the same thing and continue to repeat this cycle of, of positivity because everybody needs their parents. Everybody needs their father. The role of the man, the role of the father is a pivotal, pivotal role um, in human society. And it's a responsibility that as men, we cannot, we cannot take lightly. Um, it is our job because if we don't take that job seriously, we will be in a position where our children won't be able to pay it forward and, and, and continue to raise this nation and continue to raise this world so that it could be the place that God has called it to be. Duran, well said. Tell me a little bit about your involvement with the National Autism Association and, and mm -hmm. just raising awareness. And, and what mm -hmm. got you um, 
interested in doing that? Oh, so um, just uh, a couple months ago, we um, in the process of starting a, a partnership with those guys um, and just trying to find ways to raise awareness, um, not only for the autistic community, but for the autistic community um, in these, you know, poor communities who don't have the resources that other communities might have. That is very, very important to me um, because I know those communities. I've been around those communities. Um, and if they, you know, most kids in these, you know, Black, poor, low-income communities, you know, they get diagnosed maybe three or four laters than someone in the suburban. So I'm just, we're trying to do everything we can to just help to lay, level the playing field because you think about it, being three or four years behind, you know, just think about it in regular school, you know, if I'm three, four years and behind, if I, you know, got second grade reading level, but I'm in sixth grade, just imagine how hard and how difficult it is, not only for the student, but uh, for the parents as well. And um, I got involved um, just with, you know, supporting and raising awareness for the autistic community. I think it was probably my uh, fourth, fourth or fifth year in the league. Uh, my nephew, um, Nicholas Castro, uh, was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. But the thing that was different in that situation was my sister, uh, Donshay Castro, uh, was a fighter. Um, she knew something was wrong. She knew that the answers that the doctors were given just didn't add up. So she fought uh, and fought like hell and scratched until she got the the answers and the uh, resources um, that she needs. I mean, she's as big as an advocate as anybody as I know. And um, I just try to, you know, in, in, in essence, I try to follow her, ask her questions because, I mean, she's living it each and every day. And I applaud her and my brother-in-law for, for what they do and, and how they push this topic. And I think it's, it's important because, right, not all coping techniques look the same and under, mm-hmm. un, understanding is, mm-hmm. is so important. And, mm-hmm. and that's why it's, it's different in everyone's case, isn't it, Duran? Oh, without a doubt, you know, I just, I don't think I have met any child with autism who is similar to the other. I mean, each case is completely different. You know, there's the the the, the range of the spectrum is, is so big. And that's why we need to continue to raise awareness to keep um, garnering information, keep, you know, raising awareness, keep finding out new resources and new techniques. Um, because it's like I said, it's just, it's just so different. You just, you just don't know each child is different, but you know, at the end of the day, God made us all different. I'm unique from you and you are unique from me. Um, but we got to find ways, um, to all work together to make this, you know, a better and more safe place for, you know, people with autism. Hey, I really appreciate this conversation and, uh, and I wish you a ton of blessings in, in everything you're doing going forward. So thank you so much. Uh, No problem. I appreciate you having me on, Rob. Located 25 minutes from Center City, Philadelphia, Cairn University is a biblical university centered on Christ and His Word. In any one of our 70-plus on-campus or online programs, you will receive an explicitly biblical and intentionally Christian education that integrates your faith and work. Be taught and mentored by invested faculty. Participate in a dynamic campus life and grow in your faith as you prepare for what's next. Learn more about our undergrad and graduate programs at cairn.edu. 
That's C-A-I-R-N dot E-D-U. Time for some final thoughts. A report came out this week that Deshaun Watson testified last week that a massage therapist cried after one of their sessions, and he texted her an apology afterward, but he didn't know why she was teary-eyed. More reports are going to come out, and I'm sure most of us are going to cringe when we read them. Attorneys for both sides say most likely there's not going to be a trial until next spring, so... There's an NFL season to be played. Deshaun Watson is a starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. The NFL still investigating whether he violated the league's personal conduct policy. This week, supposedly, the league's investigators are scheduled to speak with Deshaun Watson, but we don't know when the investigation will be completed. And I don't know how the league could possibly allow Deshaun to take the field week one, but that's still more than three months away. So there's time for some sort of resolution. That's it for this week. Thank you to Lovan Fam and Deron Harmon, and thank you for listening. Please be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, check out my colleague Ralph Russo and his AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference. Be a blessing. The AP Pro Football Podcast is presented by Cairn University.